0: If you're ready for the perfect blend of spirituality and strategy when it comes to online marketing and building your business, you're in the right place. So make sure you subscribe for new episodes every single week. You ready? Let's go. Hi, welcome back to Sacred Work. This is Taylor Ray, and today I am sitting down with Dow Jensen, and we are talking all about being a woman in tech and using data and educational equity to close the digital divide. Dow Jensen has been in the tech industry for over 20 years. She founded Kaizen Technology Partners in 2013 as the first 100% female minority owned company born in the cloud. KTP is based in the San Francisco Bay Area, helping Fortune 500 enterprise clients strategize and optimize cloud platforms and solutions. In Kaizen's five years of operation, it has earned several awards from the technology community, including being the number one cloud reseller in the nation in 2014 in the first year of business. In less than seven years, she has grown the company to over $11 million in sales by hiring specialists in the industry and leveraging a specialized network of partners. Dow is also a mother of four and a Vietnamese immigrant who is passionate about educational equity. To that end, she is partnering with San Mateo County in California to help school districts to help bring high-speed internet access to thousands of students in rural communities and low-income households. Honestly, Dow is truly one of the most interesting guests we have ever had on the podcast, and it was such an honor to interview her. I got so much out of it and was blown away at so many different points throughout our conversation. So I'm super excited to share this with you and all of the value inside. Now let's dive in. Welcome back, my loves. I am so excited to be here for another beautiful podcast interview. Today, we are sitting down with Dow Jensen, who is the founder of Kaizen Technology Partners. And this was the first 100% female minority owned company born in the cloud. What a phenomenal guest. I am so excited to sit down and talk to you today, Dow. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Taylor. It's gonna be a good conversation before we even hit record. All of the things that are happening. We were already just brainstorming and talking about all of these amazing things. And I just know that it's gonna be a beautiful chat today. And there's gonna be a lot of great takeaways for you guys that are listening. Dow, I would love for you to give us a little bit of an introduction into who you are and what the sacred work is that you are doing in the world.
1: Sure, my pleasure. So, uh, I'm a 45 year old single mother of four based out of San Francisco, California. I started my company seven years ago. Um, I'm actually Vietnamese, born in Vietnam, and was part of the boat people who left Vietnam uh, and went to Minnesota. Um, I grew up really being in finance, thinking that I would be a finance person and kind of stumbled into tech. <laughs> so, what my company does, and we can talk about that journey, is we uh, are a reseller of public cloud providers, the big three, Amazon Web Services, Microsoft Azure, and Google Compute. Mm-hmm. So large companies like Tesla, Solar City, PayPal, um, the brand names that you know that are big corporations that need a lot of compute power, instead of buying servers and storage rooms and data centers, they buy per minute from Amazon or Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And we are a reseller for it. So um, our average deal is somewhere around 500000 a year. Um, people are starting to move. The trajectory of cloud is very, very strong. And the growth is over 30 to 100% year over year. Mm. I had never sold the product seven years ago. I did not know anyone selling in that area and space. And I just looked at the economics and how things were moving in a technology perspective and decided I needed to have my own company. And that's where I was going to focus. Mm. Today, we are uh leading to be almost 20 million in sales after seven years um fastest 100 in the bay area fastest 5,000 in the us and fastest growing
0: women-owned private companies in the united states of the top 50. amazing i feel like i just want to give you like a little round of applause (laughs) what a beautiful list of accomplishments like honestly it's just so inspiring and like i said to you before i've it's not a story that i've ever had anyone on that has it's so different to a lot of other guests that we've had on. And I just feel like there's so much that can be learned here. I would really love to just sort of dive in first into how, how you got into this. Like you said, you sort of stumbled into tech. So can we talk about the stumble and what sort of brought you into that world, especially, you know, before we were recording, you were telling me that, you know, that was something that was totally new to you. Like you had a finance background, like how did that come about?
1: Yeah. So in college I had a finance degree and thought I would become like a CFO of a company and had an internship at a company called Sun Microsystems in college. Um, They were looking for an intern and I decided to apply and had no idea what their company was. Well, it happened to be a tech company in Chicago and I was married early at the time. And my husband was working on one of their uh, desktops that cost $80,000. He was building the first StarTech. Um, Mm -hmm you know, small Motorola phone before it was ever popular. And when Nokia and Ericsson didn't even exist, and I said, honey, who is this company? Should I apply to them? And he said, oh, absolutely. Their stock has split three times. I don't care if they pay you. And at that time, we were had a child, you know, one-year-old. And I was like, we don't care what they pay you. Just go for it, right? It's a good career move. So I was able to get the internship as a finance analyst, but I was not happy at the desk nine to five like going in the office and doing that just was not my thing um and i knew my boss was 15 years older and there was no positions in between us i didn't even know what java was which is a programming language that they were had created some was the beginning uh founding father of java um and so i decided you know what even if i want to become cfo i should understand sales so that's my, my first tidbit to everyone, especially women, is no matter what role you are, an engineer, a finance person in a company, you need to understand the consumer, whether that's a big corporation and how they think, or it's a product you're selling. If you cannot put your mind into what you're really giving people and how they need it or why they need it, you'll never do really excel well. Like, I think careers these days are hybrids. You can't be pure finance. You've got to be finance and engineering or finance and sales so that you can cross multiple uh, capabilities and skill sets to talk to people and merge and really come up with unique solutions. So I went into sales thinking, well, they're doing a training program for a year.
0: Why not learn it? And if I suck at it, I'll go back. <laughs> I love that. And it's so funny, just the openness to like, oh, well, like if it doesn't work out, it doesn't matter. Like what's the worst that can happen? I still have my finance job. And I think
1: when you're young, you should explore. I mean, these things called apprenticeships aren't as, you know, we call it internships, but people used to do apprenticeships for free.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: I really don't care if my kids get paid on anything right now out of college. I want them to learn and meet the right people, and that's what I did. Was I learned and met the CEO of some of Sun Microsystems. Mm-hmm. His sister-in-law was in my sales program, and I got weeks with them in California. Never been to California before. I was in Chicago at the time. I was a Midwest girl, mm-hmm. and just the people you run into, the things you learn, and you can soak in at that age is more valuable than getting paid fifty thousand dollars or making mm-hmm. that. Totally. Um And so I figured if I was sucked at it, I'd go back to the dark side and finance and I never went back. I actually went and uh, did really well by listening and being able to talk ROI and finance to the executives at the age of 22. Mm. So that's how I got into tech.
0: That's phenomenal. And I I love what you said there where, you know, it's the hybrid and it's the crossover and like, even for yourself, like when you were just getting started, like having that insight and that finance background, obviously it made you valuable in certain conversations and those things that you could be talking about to obviously be building up your network and everything like that. And I think it's such a valuable point. And I think often forgotten, especially you know, for those who are getting started, and I know for myself, you know, when female entrepreneurship in the online world specifically, it can feel very like, oh, well, just me and my computer, like very easy to be like, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, I'll just do it by myself. And it's like, no, like those networks and the people that you're meeting, your community, like it's so, so powerful and building relationships with people. Can we, can we keep going in your journey? So obviously, you know, you went and that all started for you. How did you then make the transition from there into obviously starting your own company? Like, what for you was the driving motivator to want to move out of working for someone and then to create something for yourself?
1: So I was a typical corporate person, just to be clear. And and I I do have to say that when you start out in your career, you have to be vulnerable. Like you said, Taylor, like don't try to be by yourself. And even to be a good salesperson, I needed to find people to coach me. Like I was vulnerable to find people in my prospects, like Northwestern University. I found a wonderful gentleman who I just said, I'm new to this could you help me understand northwestern how you work tell me who i can talk to how i should treat them like go ask for help like you know mm-hmm. be a blank slate and all of those coachings over time really helped me to do well to the point where at 25 i was already making a quarter of a million in uh commission wow right and uh So I was really corporate. I was like, I'm going to be a VP of sales and I'm going to be CEO and I'm going to learn and be like head of IBM or whatever, (laughs) right? And honestly, over time, depending on the culture of the company and in tech, we jump a lot. Like if you're somewhere for two, three years, you're, you're good. You don't have to stay. Um, And so I kept jumping to other companies, big companies and and got sales experience. And I even went to London to sell um, for part of that. But, you know, the cultures are different. First, it was career development. Then it was only about making money for years. And in between all of this, I had three more children. My best making year was when I was 30 in San Francisco and we had moved. I didn't know anyone and I made $600,000 in commission. Wow. And I sold to this little company called Salesforce.com in the city of San Francisco. Tiny company. (laughs) Yeah, but in 2006, Taylor, they were tiny. Wow. They were were trying to be the Oracle wannabe and competing. And they're like, what is CRM and what is SaaS? Like Mm -hmm. the SaaS thing doesn't make sense in 2006, right? So I found the right location of where I really wanted to be and where, because in London, they don't treat salespeople well. Like you don't make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So you also have to know where your value is in your industry and where you need to be but i was mo- you know movable my husband was movable my children were movable so yeah. we moved and um but you know what i learned i was really good at headquarters i made a lot of good mentorship um john w thompson was one of my mentors at semantic after one of my companies got acquired he's now chairman of the board of microsoft oh my god <laughs> right i mean he's the first person who replaced bill gates yeah, and yeah. i you know i met him through his wife at a Warriors game Uh, you know I mean the number of sales stories I can talk about like how other people and little things that you're not paying attention to and other people don't pay attention to really help you out from a network right Mm -hmm. you keep in touch with these people but honestly I became disenchanted I was making a lot of money but I wasn't making a lot of promotions Um, I mean I was a director level then I went to smaller companies to take more to make to you know to have more responsibility But in the end, as I got smaller and smaller and my loyal customers followed me from a semantic, I started arguing more with the CEOs of the companies, like their business strategy, the way they dealt with the channel and their approach. And they would see me arguing with my clients and think I wasn't a good salesperson, where I had actually gotten to earn the right to argue with my clients without having a problem, right? Like they were like my brothers. So at the end one of my bosses said you know what you're probably going to be let go in six months so you know you probably i'm going to give you air cover and this is when i went to australia for three (laughs) three weeks and figure out what you want to do but you should probably start your own company and i was like what do you mean start my own company he's like you're smart you have all these contacts you brought us all these six-figure deals that we never would have had right but you really should. And so I that was the first nugget that started in my head about, okay, it's 2011, I should think about it. But let me go to a really, really small company and someone I might be look like compete with, and learn from them. So I went there and took a downgrade in a job and got that experience. But even there, I argued with the executives and was let go. Honestly, after. After building a pipeline, they were giving these deals to other sales guys who joined because they played golf with them. And I'm like, what happened to meritocracy? So when I got let go, it finally was at a point where I said, you know what, I'm ready. I might not. I wanted nine more months to start something, but it's too late now. It's February 2013. And I had a boyfriend who had been a consultant for all his life in 20 years. And I had more and more men in my life who just said, you should go do it. And it scared me so much. But on the other hand, if I didn't, I didn't see any other place to go work that I would learn, right? I had been at so many big companies. I had great resume. I had great clientele. And where would I want to go besides start my own thing if I'm going to go to another smaller, smaller company startup and argue again with people?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, ultimately, like you're just going into a startup, like why not do your own startup? (laughs) it's going to be the same anyway, but you get to be in control and build it the way that you want to. So what was that like? Like, obviously you said that that was very scary, but what were those initial moments like, like stepping out, like the fear? Can you talk us through that and how you dealt with some of those emotions?
1: Yeah. So a lot of it is prepping. Like I was starting to do side hustles as many of you are probably doing right now where I was having other people because of my connections, pay me commissions for people I already knew for work that they were doing or their little companies. So I was building a pipeline, you got to plan it out. I was building a pipeline and runway of cash flow even though I had quit. So I had about a 9-month runway of cash flow and commissions coming. And I just started going to everyone I knew. Hey, how do you start a company? What does it mean to file for registration? Like who, you know, like all these legal and finance and tax things I never did. And by the way, I had just gotten divorced 3 4 years ago prior. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't even comfortable doing my own taxes for a long time. Right. I mean, this is even though I have a finance degree, like finance is finance. There's one thing versus doing your taxes and versus being a mergers and acquisitions person. You like distinguish what capabilities and skill sets you have. Yeah. So yeah. I just took whatever deal I could to make money. Uh, Asked old clients, you know, what would they give me? And we weren't 100 percent cloud at that time in the sense of what we, we were selling cloud. But if I had to sell a piece of hardware, I did it to make money at at that point. Mm -hmm. It took us about five years before we finally said no to selling hardware products to be 100% pure cloud, because Mm -hmm. then we really had the brand name recognition, the customer base and the annuity before we could do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's like a little lesson in there as well around what you were saying with even, you know, when you took the downgrade in the job and then, you know, being able to ask questions about things that you didn't know. Like, I feel like that would have been really humbling. Um, And I feel like for so many of us, I remember like when I was getting started, you have no idea, like you literally flop your way through it and figure it out and make a lot of mistakes as you go. And I guess, you know, for those who are in that position where they're looking at making a leap or maybe they've made the leap, but they're, you know, scared and they don't really know exactly what's next. What's some of the advice that you would have there around, you know, being open and asking questions and not feeling like you necessarily have to have all the answers uh, and not feeling like you have to know everything before you get started?
1: I think that's what you should be always. Mm -hmm. even today i'm that way because there's disruptive technologies out there that i'm still trying to learn Mm -hmm. right and i think if you continue to be complacent like i am the specialist like i know you're asking me about cloud and i kind of said this to you ahead of time i don't even touch the product i sell it right i understand the high level and what it matters to you and my customer base but i am not i bring people in who are good at what they do and i ask and i'll always continue to ask so these are, if you went and asked me to go and start understanding how gears work in a manufacturing company, I would just continue and ask, 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 Mm. right. Until I knew it well enough to start doing it on my own in some form or fashion. So I think it's really important to always be on the learning, continuing learning curve, which is why I started going to Harvard again. Um, Well, not again. That's why I got my scholarship to Harvard in 2017. Mm. Because even though I was starting to win awards and growing my company, I knew I could do better. And I knew I could learn more. And there was something else to take a company from $10 million to $50 million. Yeah,
0: Honestly, that's such a beautiful lesson around being open to, you know, forever learning. And I think as well, a little something that I took out of what you just said was, you know, get the right people around you as well and know what you're good at and stay there and then give everything else to someone else. Like you're not in there trying to install the, not that I know anything about what I'm saying right now, but like install the cloud technology or anything like that. You know that your zone of genius and what you are amazing at is the selling aspect. And so you get all the other people around you to be doing all the other things and you just focus on the selling. And obviously that has been so fundamental for you in scaling your company, you know, to a multiple, like, tens of millions of dollar company. Like I was just going to say, no matter where you're at, you know, you might just be starting like literally starting and just kicking off and doing a little side hustle. It's the same, like figure out what your zone of genius is and what it is that you want to be focusing on. And then how can you invest back into your business and start outsourcing little things that aren't in your zone of genius?
1: Right. And I want to be clear and realistic to go back to those days. There were many things I did that I wasn't good at that I had to do because I couldn't afford anyone. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I was doing accounting, I was doing invoices, and I was creating quotes or whatever, right? But if you can, you know, the wonderful thing about this gig economy is you can go on Fiverr or you can go on Upworks and you can hire people for a couple hours a week to do certain things. Yeah. And then over time, as you get bigger and bigger, you eventually get to a point where you're like, I'm doing this enough that I should hire someone, Yeah. right? Um, I was going and picking up checks from vendors and customers in the mail all the time and depositing them and then going off and depositing the paychecks immediately to my consultants. I don't do that anymore. Right. I I have guys doing that for me, but I I do want to be clear that there is, you know, well, how did she get those? She had money. She whatever. I mean, my first year was two hundred and something thousand two deals. Mm -hmm. And when I say two hundred and something thousand, that meant I made five percent probably on two hundred thousand right? We're not talking about a lot of pay to me. No.
0: Yeah. That's such a good point. I love that you said that. And it just creates a very like honest view of, you know, you got to like bootstrap it in the beginning and you've got to be willing to get your hands dirty and do the things. But as you said, like, as you grow and as you find that you're doing that over and over and over and over again, and you are in a position to start investing back in your business, take that opportunity. I love that you said that because that doesn't get thrown around a lot. It does get thrown around to just like, oh, outsource, outsource. And I know Uh when I was getting started, I didn't didn't have anything. I didn't have any money to outsource. And, you know, it's exactly. a, a role, you know, where you do start to bring in people. And then how do you get creative to, you know, I didn't have a lot of money, but I had some friends that
1: were really good with design. So I had them look at logos for me and I would always want a third opinion because I wasn't good at it. Mm-hmm. Or I had a mathematician friend and I said, could I just pay you $25 an hour and you do my accounting for me? Right? Like, you get creative where you say, what could I do for you that you would want that isn't monetary, right? Yes. Um, and I think that, you know, if you look at Michael Oliveri, I just interviewed him and he's in, but with him and he's in Canada. It's like, how do you become your own, you know, boss with very little money? Mm-hmm. And I'm definitely that bootstrap girl. I'm not sure I need to ever do that again. but <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, probably not. But knowing, having that skill set, and then being able to pass that knowledge on to other people and just those little lessons are really, really good. And even little things, like just in case you guys missed it, but knowing about platforms like Fiverr and Upwork, like I've I'm very grateful for Upwork. Like I have had a lot of help from people through Upwork, little contracting things, like little project-based things. And it's amazing. And it's, I talked, I swear I could almost be an affiliate for Upwork. Like I have talked about Upwork to people in Ubers, like all of this, because it is such an, it's a beautiful platform, whether you are hiring or whether you are getting your business going as well. Like think about it like that. If you've got a service to offer, that's somewhere that you can be showing up as well. So just little things like that along the way that people can pick up and go, okay, cool. I can write that down. I'll look up Upwork, later, it might be something that people aren't aware of, but those lessons are wonderful. In your community too. So a lot of people I hired in the beginning also were
1: friends of friends who needed jobs, which mm. brings more value to me than someone I don't know on Upwork yeah. too, right? So like I've brought a lot of women into the cloud and it's like, what's cloud? I'm like, let me teach you, right? And they are not in tech. And I think it's important to bring people that I would say, if it wasn't for tech or finance, those are the two industries that are most like wealthiest, right, from a money-making standpoint, that I wouldn't have been able to divorce my husband and live with four children and a mortgage in San Francisco in a six-bedroom home. Mm, True, very, very. So if we can pull more women into a very male-dominated sector, then do it.
0: Yes, which is what I definitely wanted to talk to you about. And this is a beautiful segue. What has that been like, you know, really honestly, you know, being a woman in a male dominated industry, like what are some of the biggest obstacles that you've come up against or maybe some of the biggest lessons or stories that you've got that (laughs) might be a little bit eye opening? I'd love to hear.
1: Yeah, so I think that's where I had some of my disenchantment, as we said, or right about the corporate world. I mean, um, you can make your numbers and succeed quota-wise and sell a lot for a company, but if you're not doing the water cooler talk and you're doing the good old boys club and the golfing or something, it's harder to compete in a male-dominated world. Um, You will go find, if you find the right mentors and the right men or women who are going to support you in those industries and they really get to know you and you follow through... You will get breaks like with a John Thompson or, an, you know, Enrique Salem or whatever. But in for me, in my end, it was end up becoming my own person and like my own CEO. But I had I wouldn't have been able to do my business and company without male support being my clients. Mm. And so I don't see it as a negative of he or she or whatever. But you have to stand out and be like, I get a phone call from a guy because I'm not a guy calling a guy, which they're used to. Right. It's just another guy calling me. Another woman would say, well, she's only winning her deals because she's a woman and she's wearing a skirt, you know, to the meeting. And I've asked a lot of my male customers, especially the loyal ones. Well, what do you think about that? Because I do feel guilty about that. Like, is that something I should feel bad about? And, <sighs> you know, I'm taking my my, dis, my my advantage of being different to my advantage. And they said, "Dow, no, honestly, you might have gotten the first call more often than most people. But you had to be way better for me to be able to say I'm putting money on her to sell me this because my bosses are probably thinking the same thing, right? Is he giving her the business because she's a woman, yeah. etc. So I think you just have to be better at what you do and really help your customers and your male supporters be proud of that they're putting effort into you or female, right? And and I, I was trying to say this to women. They're like, oh, women bring each other down and they hurt each other. I go, men do the same thing to each other. They just don't talk about it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) They backstab each other. They just don't talk about it. We just talk about it a lot more. That's so true. That's so, so true. And what I found really interesting as well, what you said there is like, you carried the guilt and I'd, I might be making an assumption, but I just don't exactly. feel like that's something that men would put on themselves. You know, they wouldn't be like, oh, should I feel bad because I got an opportunity? Oh, that I played golf with a guy and got a deal, right? Or yeah. I drank with him or I went to the strip club with him. Sorry. <laughs> right? I mean, that's yeah. reality
1: in the tech and finance world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And making the most of opportunities in the current situation and not feeling bad for that and really seeing that as an opportunity for yourself. How how did you move through that guilt? How did, how, what was the mindset behind that? You know, things that you were carrying where, you know, there weren't a lot of women that you could probably look to, like you're such a, a forward mover as a woman in this industry. Um, it sounds like you had a lot of, you know, mentors and things that you could look up to and lean on to for support, but they were all male. Um, how did you sort of navigate that as a woman?
1: Well, I think now being a woman entrepreneur, I look out for other women entrepreneurs. And so I, we had discussed there's what, organizations called Women Presidents Org, WPO, um, or NABO, or there's many nation and international corporations that you can find. So I do have someone I look up to now and she does $185 million with the federal government. Wow. You know, she's a black female vet and she's in cybersecurity and she worked for Colin Powell in her 20 years as a vet. So you just have to keep out and go to these things. And, you know, I met her last year. Now she and I are working together. She convinced me to sell to the government because I was only selling to corporate world and I hated the government sales because she was bringing me into the Pentagon and she was bringing me into the CDC. Uh, But on the other hand, she and I are working together to start our first woman minority owned cannabis company in the United States. Oh, my God. That is so cool. Right. And to diversify. (laughs) So, you, you know, you find people you can work with and that are really good and whether it's male or female, right? But I think you just have to look out there. It's kind of like, I joke, I was youth governor of my state, but yet I could never get elected to be high school uh, student council <laughs> or <laughs> high school president, right? <laughs> Sometimes you have to up the level and take it outside of New Zealand or Australia and say, okay, I'm going to go look at Southeast Asia or I'm going to look at Europe and or the world and look for people like me that I want to be like, and it, it, it isn't going to be stuck into your little visibility you have now in your hometown or your country or whatever.
0: Yeah. God, that's such a good lesson. Just get out of your little bubble and how can you expand out and find other people in all different walks of life in all different countries and, you know, build your community in that area. So many beautiful takeaways in this. I'm getting so much out of this conversation. So thank you already for everything that you've shared. But I know that something you talk about a lot is the digital divide um, and closing that and that community is a key to that. I'd love for you to give us a little bit of insight to what you mean by the digital divide and then how community plays such a role in closing it.
1: Sure. So we actually just got into the digital divide projects this year because we started selling to the government. So again, I thank Phyllis for it, even though she didn't give us this project, right? My government girlfriend in the cybersecurity space. But what it is, is that, you know, this is not a new problem. This has been a problem for many, many years. That not everyone can get internet, but it's become more exacerbated because of shelter in place and COVID. And now all the kids are having to do distance learning. And as a mother of three teenagers, I watch it from home already. So spring was completely a loss. My kids didn't learn anything. They didn't get, they got pass fail. And we all thought this was going to be done. Right. And we're going to go back to school in the fall. So I was working with some state and local government communities and one of them in particular, San Mateo. And they told us, hey, we still have a lot of people. We're the richest county and like second richest in the whole state of California, 10th richest in the U.S. And we still have people who don't have Internet. You know, they have Stanford University, they have Google and they have many other companies in their arena, Facebook. But yet they have 20 percent of the students and families don't have Internet access. Crazy. I mean, they have hills as well, though, like the ocean and the mountains get in the way of Internet access. Mm -hmm. So it's become just even more of a bigger issue then and digital divide is more of a social economic issue too. It's an economic dis- divide, right? Because if I don't have money, I can't afford to pay for internet for ten dollars a month, and it might go up if I go past my limit. Or, you know, my kids might have spotty, or they're homeless and they don't have an address, so I can even get right. They're moving from home to home, and or where parents are divorced and they're going back and forth, so one parent has internet and the other doesn't, you know, etc. So. What we did was we took our technology and analytics and we put it in a map for San Mateo and we color coded it and heat mapped it and said, look, it, here's where the majority of your lunch, socially economic children are that don't have Internet. Mm-hmm. And this is where we're going to start first. And these are the four types of solutions you can use. But because of X, Y and Z demographics. These people don't have credit cards. So we can't use the Comcast or Xfinity solution. We've got to go pick this one that we're going to bring a machine into the apartment building so that there's going to be Wi Fi throughout the entire apartment. Mm -hmm. And that takes a community because it's not just about the students, but you know, corporate, you know, counties don't have all the money. The schools, don't have the technology they need partnerships like us to do it and then maybe we even need money from a Facebook and others to provide some more money because mm. just because you install it who's going to keep it up and running for the next two years or three years there's maintenance costs
0: yeah not just the it there. yeah yeah
1: yeah my goodness that's why it's a community issue
0: yeah not kidding and thank goodness people like you are out there and really working hard to close it because I'm first to say like that's not necessarily something that I think about I'm like, oh yeah, cool, got my good internet, works fast. Like and I don't think about it, right? My children have two machines,
1: and even at some point I had to buy a third one, just be like, hey, a phone and a laptop's not good enough. What if one goes down and I'm not home? Yeah.
0: (laughs) So it's it's easy to take it for granted. And you know. I'm so blessed. Like my whole life is on the internet. My whole income is derived from the internet. So it's very easy to think like, oh yeah, like everybody's got access. And then to have a conversation like this and be like, actually, no, not everybody does, you know? And so it's things like this that really need to be at the forefront, you know, really focusing on closing that. That's an amazing. As well, you know, obviously you touched a little bit on COVID and how that has, you know, obviously impacted schooling and everything like that. And it's such a, a fast shift into needing to pivot into the online world if it's not something that you were already doing. Um, obviously, COVID as well has had a, a really big impact on women in business. And we were sort of touching on this a little bit before we started recording. but you know, women are the the most affected by COVID, women in business, and I'd love for you to sort of give some of your tips. I know that obviously it's, it's had a huge impact, a lot of small businesses closing and things like that for women who are in business and, you know, maybe some of the tips that you've got so that they can not just survive, but also thrive? Like some of the things that you might be able to pass on as advice to continue to scale um, and to stay on top of things, obviously COVID's the thing that's happening right now, but who knows what will be in future. Just tips that you've got there to really make sure that you're continuing to scale. Yeah, I think part
1: of it is don't overextend. Like we were a virtual workforce environment before and a lot of offices are closing down or people can't afford to pay their mortgages on their leases, right? Mm-hmm. Or their leases. Um, and I've been pushed many times, go buy an office, we need a real office. I'm like, no, I spend time with my customer and I am perfectly fine working at home and have been for 20 years. Um, now it's okay. And a lot of these corporations are saying it's okay because they have no choice. But before they wouldn't let their you know employees do it. Um, you gotta pivot and you've got to think about what is are you special and good at? Like you said, like I'm good at sales. If my company went down today and no one wanted to do cloud, what I do know is. I can be a salesperson for any product and introduce people to people because I'm the connector, mm. right? And so you really have to think, what's that differentiation that I'll never worry, right? And so my girlfriend was a retail company of $30 million. At COVID, her orders were being sent back by TJ Maxx right when they got on the trucks. Wow. And she went down to zero. Oh. When you still have 70 employees and you have all of this stuff, how do you pivot, Right. You got to go talk to the banks. You got to go talk to people you owe money to. You've got to fix the bleeding for a reprieve. But on the other hand, you got to start going, what do I have? I've got material. I've got clothes extra. And she ended up being one of the top five companies on the internet selling masks on Amazon. Wow. (laughs) Right. And she ended up giving out hundreds of thousands of dollars of clothing for free publicity to for upfront workers who needed to maybe have a special thank you so she said hey someone in your family or friend who's a you know a frontline worker that really could use a thank you and she got so many people sending in some great stories that she gave them all free clothing um. and then she was able to hang out and use that as a good publicity success story to get her company's name out on the local news Mm. about the things that they decided to do because it's a sunk cost yeah that's so there's some good you can do right like I feel like the digital divide was something that we finally had a good project that it wasn't just technology for technology's sake Mm. right I mean yes we were providing Tesla and the cars and helping the you know the environment quote unquote but that digital divide has had more of my employees be so proud of what we do yeah. than anything else in the past.
0: So amazing. It's amazing how little things like that can just shift your perspective so much. How, how important do you feel giving back is to obviously the community and different things that you care about?
1: I think it's important. I think that you have to understand when you can and can't, right? I mean, being a mother of four for the first day decade it was making money and being able to pay for you know my kids so I think you know do it when you're able to but you need to take care of yourself first so that you can help others and I think at some point you give back so for me these talks are more for giving back right like how do I bring the 19 and 20 year olds I want people to be entrepreneurs at an earlier age than me starting at 35 Mm. right and my parents were against it. They were restaurant owners. It's the tow ba- bakery that's in Melbourne. That's my family, right? Uh-huh. All entrepreneurial people, but they're like, work is too hard as an entrepreneur, or go be a lawyer or a doctor. And that's what I kind of tried to do, mm. right? But one out of seven kids ended up being an entrepreneur. It was me, right? And my parents were able to, to support all seven kids coming from Vietnam with nothing and have three restaurants. So. I think you have to figure out what your passion is. And I give back by employing single parent women, mm-hmm. right? Like when I know they might not be the right fit for what I have all the time, but I'm willing to train them and help them through a difficult time when they've lost a job mm-hmm. So let let's train you. And I know you'll work hard to prove me wrong, you know, prove me right and come in and work on some hours with us.
0: Yeah. But to yeah. me,
1: that, that little give back was more than having to do a digital divide. And that was okay for the last few years
0: yeah love that that's i love that piece of advice like yes give back but you know make sure that it's in alignment with the season that you're in um and as you said you know making sure that you know looking after what you're doing and what you're growing first so that you can continue to do it because if you focus solely on just like giving back in the beginning you'll kind of crumble your own foundations you won't be able to continue to give so that's a really, okay, so really I don't good know what scale point. do you really want
1: to give because until you can build to have that scale Mm. i couldn't give a lot when we were only a five million dollar company
0: yeah you can give it now can. we're
1: giving out zoom calls and licenses to our churches and others who can't afford it mm. so that they can keep their service going
0: yeah yeah phenomenal it just scales as you scale essentially yeah. but yeah. it's always been an integral part of how you show up in business and i think that's a big thing you know with money and with growth and with success like they always say this, like, you know, money money is a tool, money is energy, and so it's an amplifier. So if you're someone that that's part of who you are, you know, when you're getting started and you've got a dollar, it's going to be amplified when you've got a million or a billion, you know. So that's obviously been such a beautiful part of who you are and how you show up in business and that just continues to grow as you grow which is amazing um you've touched on being a mum of four and we've got a lot of mums that listen as well I would love to just get a little insight into how you juggle it all you know obviously you said you went through a divorce through everything as well and you've come out and created so much success for yourself while also being a wonderful mom how do you manage it I'm not a mum, so I cannot speak to this at all I have no idea what it's like so I'll leave that to you <laughs> Well, my kids would question first if I
1: was a wonderful mom, but (laughs) Um, I think, you know, there's no such thing as work life balance to me. It's work life integration. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you have to pick and choose. And right now it's an important part for me to be on a big deal. And I might not be home for a couple of weeks or whatever, but I know what comes out of it. And your children might not understand it till much later in life. Mm. Right. Um, And I think a lot of it is you got to get help too. I mean, it took me till my second child till I finally hired a nanny, but that's only because my husband wanted to go back to college, right? Like his MBA. And he was like, oh, okay, I can't take care of the children and go to school like you did. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so, you know, um, I, I, I've always had a nanny in the last 18 years. Um, I, I've never lived near where my family lived mm. in Minnesota, right? I was always international or in Chicago or California. Um, and then like, even recently, my CEO classmates are like, come on, Dow, you can afford to have someone come in your house three days a week, wash dishes, do the laundry, you know, do these things that I'm like, oh, really? No, i I like it's kind of a nice break. They're like, no. But what you could do for other people and other things is if you brought someone in, you're helping someone out, letting them do the work they love or need and go do. Now, I cook for my children when I feel like it or when I need and don't have someone there and we run out of food or whatever, like, but it's by choice. Um, and I think you just have to balance it. Like I go get massages all the time, unfortunately not during COVID, <laughs> but you know, like you have gotta have time for yourself. And mm. even in a relationship, you have to have time. The parents have to have as much time they say between each other so they don't get divorced mm. as they do with the children. Because one of the things you do when you're married and have kids is you focus on the kids so much you start losing that relationship. Mm. And I would say that to the younger generation, like, right, I, I did that wrong, mm. right? we should have spent more time together focusing on ourselves because that's actually a good modeling for the children too. And mm-hmm. you've got to keep that relationship up. So um I do that now more with my boyfriend, right? And my children understand it. It's like, mom needs time and we're doing this, but we'll come back and be with you for X, Y, and Z. And setting expectations is, I think, the biggest thing mm-hmm. that's, that's the savior of balancing work life, right? It's like, we can't do that today, but we'll do that another day. What else could we do for you that would be better? Right.
0: Mm. Yeah. I definitely, again, not a mum, but you know, I have a partner. And yeah, I think the biggest thing, like boundaries, has been huge for me. Like really learning boundaries and, you know, what serves me and what serves our relationship and how do we honor that, um, I think has been absolutely massive. So totally agree with everything that you're saying there. It's like, how can you fill up your cup? How can you fill up the relationship cup? How can you fill up the motherhood cup? Like all of those little things, but making sure that you are paying attention to all of them and not just prioritizing, you know. Well, and
1: work will always be there, I will have to say to you, right? Like I did make some decisions not to work so much, even though we've grown fast as people would think. I, I could have grown faster and I am hard on myself in that way sometimes mm-hmm. right like you kind of have to have a balance like when your parents are sick my mother was ill the last 9 months i had to make decisions on those things right mm-hmm. um and now my children the last two who are older and i only have a few more years become i have an empty nester so i'm trying to balance that more too it's just what time of life are you right to do that before you regret it later
0: yes so true and work will always be there and it's what do you want to give energy and priority to so So honestly, so many beautiful lessons in this, and I can take so much away from that because I would say that I uh, probably in the next few years, we'll probably look at having kids. So it's lovely to have these sort of conversations so I can (laughs) prepare myself as much, not that I think you're ever really like prepared already or could ever know anything until it happens. But I do love to have these sort of conversations because there's like little nuggets that I can be like, "Okay, pop that in there and try to remember that later when (laughs) it feels like everything's going to shit. (laughs) So Yeah. yeah.
1: Perfect. I mean, you just got to get it to a level where it's kind of even and your life isn't in mayhem and like something's at a three and the rest is at a seven,
0: right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Me and my partner talk about that a lot, that exactly what you said, where there's no such thing as balance, but you're like all in on one thing and then you'll be all in on another later on. And that, that is what balance is, but nothing's ever equal. It's like, what are you prioritizing in this moment and giving your energy and your focus to, And then that is so important. And then, you know, that the little scales will shift and then something else, you know, will be over here. And I think for me personally, that approach to balance is much better than me being like, okay, I have to be absolutely killing it on the relationship front, the work front, the health front, the personal, whatever front, you know, all the fronts of your life. You're so I unhappy, feel like- right. You're being too hard. It's
1: unrealistic. You're going to be unhappy. I don't know anyone who is right. It's always about, okay, I'm at an eight and everything or seven. I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. because I have all these things like there are a lot of people who are only about their work and that's great they have no family they have whatever So they can be an 11 or a 10 on whatever they're doing Mm. right But they might not be on their health or whatever so be strategic too the best way to do it is like you said if I don't do something well let someone else do it even if it takes them longer to do it
0: true yeah, so so true. Honestly, I feel like I could keep talking to you forever. I have so appreciated this conversation. I know that those listening have will have just learned so much from hearing you. So thank you so much for your time today. Um, if there was one piece of advice or something coming through that's on your heart and you just feel called to share it and to leave our listeners with, what would it be?
1: So I think your biggest inhibitor is your own thoughts mm. and your mind and your your belief in yourself some days you feel like you have this ego and you think you can go and fly the sky but most of the things that are preventing you from even getting higher up there in the sun is you Mm -hmm. so you have to surround yourself with people men and women partners that actually believe in you more than you believe in yourself sometimes just when you are down right and I was I would look at Harvard scholarship and I'm like, wow, I've met some really great women entrepreneurs and I know who's going to go for it. And there's no way I can compete and go apply, even though it was a dream. Mm-hmm. And it took me to have a couple of class, you know, like friends in the organization. Oh my gosh, I went through it. There's absolutely no way you wouldn't win it. Right. And like, let me help you and you should do it. And I'm like, really? Hmm. <laughs> And that's really what it's just like starting my own business someone had to push you and see it and say you already have a ton of context now why wouldn't you start your own company that's yeah. the hardest people people don't have is the relationship you yeah. can make anything out of it right so we're all our worst enemies and we need people around us our partners our kids our friends whatever i will always owe a ton of debt to those friends and people who like pushed me and in the end, I mean, I was the number one presenter for that scholarship, right? But mm-hmm. <laughs> you, and it was a worldwide competition with eight hundred people from around the world.
0: Wow! Right, with
1: Harvard, but I, and it, it has increased my personal life from a friendship perspective in forty-one countries so much more than I would have ever expected. Just not even helping my revenues, right, mm-hmm. and my growth. So those are just those very key things. Once in a while in your life, that you just have to like get out there and tell everyone you're going to do but you need that support of people that kind of push you to like what do you think I should what could I do
0: Yes yes such good advice and I can say for myself in my life like I've got my little biz besties that you know we catch up you know every other week or something like that do a little Zoom call we had it just before this actually and it's always so good <laughs> but some of the best things that I've gone for in my life and in business have come from conversations like that where outside perspective like you know, my partner as well, they can see you for what you actually are rather than what you believe you are in your own head. And sometimes you just need that little nudge to help you to take that step. So that's amazing.
1: Take Take the step. Failure is good. You will never succeed without failing. So if you think you're always going to succeed, you're wrong. And if you're always succeeding and not failing, you're not trying hard enough. There it is.
0: (laughs) And mic drop. (laughs) We're done here. Thank you for having me, Taylor. This has been so amazing, Dow. Thank you so, so, so much for coming on. Um, For those that want to connect with you outside of the interview, please tell them where they can find you online. Yeah, so they can just find me at Dow Jensen on LinkedIn,
1: or my Twitter is also Dow Jensen Tech Partners. Um, Instagram is Dow Jensen. So D A O J E N S E N.
0: Beautiful. And we'll put it all in the show notes. So it's super easy for people to go and find you again. Thank you so much. Such a blessing having you on. So appreciate your time, your knowledge, and your light. Thank you, Taylor. Thanks so much for spending your time with me and for listening today. If you love the episode, please be sure to leave me a review on iTunes to let me know and screenshot the episode now to share on your stories and tag me at Tay Ray official. If you're looking for more support in scaling out your impact and your income with your business online, be sure to head to my website, taylorray.com.au to get access to all my courses, coaching programs, and free resources.